Well, I'm so enjoying our uh, trek through the, the book of Ephesians, and this morning we land uh, in a place that uh, deals with the majority, if you think about time, the majority of our life. We uh, spend more time at work than any other place when you add up the hours. Uh, most of us the hours spent at work going to and from work, the years spent preparing for our work, uh, takes up a significant chunk, a major portion of our lives. And so it is that we come to this place this morning, and the application that we discover here is from a text that we're going to have to answer a couple of tough questions about. And so let's jump into the tough questions uh, about this text. If you look at verse 5, it says bond servants. Bond servants. And so there is a legitimate question as to what is Paul writing about and is uh, uh, some of your translations may even render the word slaves. So what is Paul writing about? What is the word? Uh, let's address that and then let's look a little bit behind it. A bondservant in Paul's day was someone bound to serve his master for a specific, usually lengthy period of time. That's what bondservants did. But someone who might uh, also own property, achieve social advancement, and even be released or purchase his own or her own freedom. Uh, these bondservants were part of the church and so it is that Paul addresses them here uh, and legitimizes their position or place in the church by even, in, by even mentioning them. All right, so when we hear about bondservants, naturally our minds go to slavery and we naturally will go to American slavery. We will think of slavery as we have studied it in uh, the United States. So let me talk about some differences between Paul's context and between slavery in the United States, just so we know with the original what we're dealing with. In Paul's day, color was not a factor in if you were a bondservant or not. In Paul's day, freed persons could sell themselves into slavery knowing that they would later regain freedom. This was part of the economic system of his day. In Paul's day, slaves could become highly trained and educated. They were tutors, they were professors. They could become free and as a result, Roman citizens. Slaves held positions as farmers, potters, gold miners, cooks, bakers, teachers, accountants, and doctors. The treatment of slaves depended uh, a great deal in Paul's day on the owners. Slaves have virtually no protection from the law. And so what brings up then, what this brings up is a nagging question. Why did Paul not, rather than address how masters and bondservants ought to interact, why did he not undo this in the system? Why did Paul not say there shouldn't be anyone who owns or is master in this way over another? Uh, Paul says in other places that we are all one in Christ, slave or free. 
he says, male and female, he goes into a list of things that we are all one in Christ. So theologically, we know where Paul is. Why doesn't he address this issue? It is a legitimate question. One writer has said, Christianity's emphasis has always been on the transformation of individuals who will in turn influence society not on the transformation of society that will then transform individuals. And that is true. Our second value at grace is heart change leads to life change. Get enough people in a place whose lives have been changed, and you'll see a cultural change in that place. And so it is that we come to this passage this morning with those questions that honestly, they sit there a bit unsettling. And yet, even Paul, speaking into this dynamic that existed in that day, speaks into it with some clarity. For us this morning, the application will be that of work, that of bosses and employees. Let's talk about work for a minute. Work is uh, kind of become, in many places, a four-letter word, uh, one that people don't enjoy saying and, and enjoy less doing. Uh, I think there's always, maybe not, but I think there's always uh, a tendency of an older generation to criticize a younger generation with work, right? The older generation seems to have always worked harder than the younger and on down the line. I come from family on both sides who knew nothing but to work. Uh, my uh, 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 grandfather logged uh, with his horse and uh, his logging equipment, nothing mechanical. That's what he would do all day long. My dad started working with him when he was 10 years old. And so on my, grand, on my dad's side, that's the work legacy. On my grandfather's side, on my mom's side, uh, my grandmother had 11 children. I don't need to say anything else. She worked. My grandfather worked construction. He would come home and farm tobacco. His saying was he would never come home and eat supper. He would say, I can eat when it's dark. And he would work until dark uh, in the tobacco fields that he owned, and then he would eat. He worked all day on Saturday, rested on Sunday. Neither, none of them on either side attended church. Nobody went to worship completely unchurched grandparents on both sides. And so that was uh, what I grew up with. Work was our middle name. We knew nothing more than to work. We worked hard growing up. I, I started my first uh, uh, job mowing grass when I was in fifth grade, and then I got my first uh, uh, gig of, uh, of working at Frisbee's in Old Fort, bagging groceries when I was in the ninth grade, and then on to Stuckey's on the interstate, just moving right up the ladder of success. <laughs> and so, uh, so that, was, uh, that was how I, I rolled. When I was in high school, I worked about 35 hours a week, as a high school kid, there weren't rules then. And so I worked uh, about 35 hours a week as a high school student, worked probably three jobs at a time for most of my college experience. And so work for me can become a wrong thing. It can become a God thing, just laying it out there. It can. I'm just being transparent with you guys. But for many people, work is this thing that is not looked on with favor. Andrew Carnegie says the average person puts only 25% of his energy and ability into his work. 
The world takes off its hat to those who put in more than 50% of their capacity and stands on its head for those few and far between souls who devote 100%. I know that in this room are many of you who give 100 or 110%. I would say to you also, what we're going to talk about in this sermon today all goes back just like moms and dads and their kids and husbands and their wives to Ephesians 5.18. You cannot work as you should unless you're filled with the Spirit. You cannot do what Paul says to do here unless you are filled with the Spirit. So let's look at two or three principles, two for workers, one for leaders, All right, we have both in the room. So workers and leaders, if you uh, are a worker, not a leader, or or if you're a leader, this applies, but work sincerely because the Lord is watching. Uh, The the passage begins, uh, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, that word obey, we talked about when we talked about kids and their parents. It's the picture of a porter knocking on a door. And when the porter knocks on the door, or someone knocking on the door, the porter's job is to hear the door knock and answer it. I know this isn't popular today. I know there's a a whole movement uh, uh, that is rebelling against any authority. But here it is. When you go to work, you will have a boss. Your boss's job is to tell you what to do, when to do it, where to do it, and how to do it. Once they do that, your job is to do it. That's life. That is life. If you don't like it, be independently wealthy. That's the only way you'll get around that. God has designed it to where there are leaders and there are bosses and there are employees. That is how life goes. You don't get to walk into your place of employment and say, nah, I don't think I really want to do that. Not cut out for that. You should have figured that out before you took the job. And that's what Paul says here. Obey with fear and trembling means reverential respect. Sincere. That word sincere means a single mind, no pretense, without duplicity. You go and be you at work just like you go and be you at home. You are you everywhere you go. All right? So with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service. What is eye service? Only working when your boss is looking. That is eye service. I don't work unless the boss is looking. All right, so how prevalent is this in our culture today? I'm going to give a saying. You guys can finish. While the cat's away, there it is. That's eye service, right? Right? I'm only going to do what I should do when the boss's eyes are on me. And, and Paul says, only, you know, don't do the eye service thing. But beyond that, he says, as people pleasers, only working when your boss is applauding. 
All right, so, so some of you perhaps hope not only work when your boss is looking, but some of you, maybe you are an applause junkie. You need to hear every day, all day long, how good you are, what a good job you're doing, how wonderful things are, and you need to be thanked for showing up. You need to be thanked for everything under the sun. That's just where you are. Paul says, no, no, that will exhaust a leader. All right, so leaders ought to encourage, but I'm just saying to you, if that's where you live and that's where you land, you will find yourself rather discouraged pretty quickly. People pleasers only working when your boss is applauding. Doing the will of God from the heart. Work is an inside, outside job. Work is heart first and work second. You should do the work you do because of who you are and what God is doing in here. That's what he's saying. I don't know if you've seen these things that, that, that are available on computers um, during the, especially the NCAA tournament where you can watch a game right on your computer. So a few years ago, NCAA did this, and, and, and uh, you can click a button while you're watching the game. It's the boss button. And as soon as you click it, a spreadsheet pops up. Yes, so the boss, you're watching the game, right? Boss comes by, boss button, spreadsheet's up. Looks like you're really working. That's what Paul says not to do. Will Mancini shares this in his work, Church Unique. He says, a man went for a walk on a hot summer day and passed by three workers who were making bricks. What are you doing? He asked them. The first worker sighed as he looked up. What does it look like? I'm making bricks. The second worker turned around and asserted, we're building a really big wall. The third worker happily exclaimed, I'm building a cathedral, and it's going to be one of the most beautiful cathedrals of all time. That is the perspective you and I are to have of our work. You say, what does that mean? Your patient, if you are a medical professional, isn't a number. He or she is a person with pain and difficulty and need. You should see each of them in that way. If you teach school, you don't have just 25 or 30 or 20 or however many you have people that just kind of meander into your class. No, as they come into your class, those people who come in, those kids who come in represent lives and futures and opportunity and hope and despair and difficulty and heartache and burdens. It's all wrapped up into one. And so, so work sincerely. Why? Because the Lord is watching He's watching you. He's watching how you interact with people. Is Christ coming out of you as you are serving? Number two, work sincerely because the Lord is rewarding. The Lord is rewarding. Look at this, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service. There is the phrase. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Work is serving someone or something else for a greater good. There's your definition. Work is serving someone or something else for a greater good. Do you build houses or do you build homes? That, that, that's the question, right? Anybody can build a house. 
But if as you are working on the house, the house you envision as a home where moms and dads are going to come home and raise kids and there's going to be laughter in the walls, then that's different, isn't it? With the goodwill. What does goodwill mean? Agreeably, wholeheartedness, knowing, not feeling, that he will receive back from the Lord. So there are two kinds of paychecks, the one you get now and the one you will get later. There are two kinds. There's the paycheck you'll get, you know, weekly, monthly, however you get paid. And then there's the paycheck you will get later, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. One day we will stand before God and our deeds will be judged. And yes, that includes work. That includes where you spend the majority of your time. And your deeds will be, will be judged. I read this years ago in one of Troy Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, in one of his books. He talked, he spoke of a young man he was mentoring the young man lived in Alabama. Kathy was in Atlanta. And the young man uh, had the privilege of being mentored by the founder of Chick-fil-A. What an opportunity. The young man needed a car, but Kathy said he more than needed a car, needed to get direction and purpose in his life. So Kathy asked him to listen, this is old school, to cassette tapes. All right, cassette tapes. This is old school. To listen to cassette tapes of Charles Stanley preaching. It was a series. And so he gave those cassette tapes to this young man, and he said, once you've finished listening to them, let's sit down and talk about what it is you have heard. Well, he would check in with the young man, and the young man, uh, after a month, had not listened to them, and he had reasons. And then after another month, he had not listened, and the young man had reasons. And finally, uh, along around the third month, Kathy said, well, come on into my office. Bring the tapes with you. The young man comes in carrying the tapes. He had listened uh, to only part of the first one, and so, so Kathy went and got the last tape, put it in the cassette player, and pushed play in the last two minutes. At a certain point, Charles Stanley's voice ended. Truett Cathy's voice began. And this is what it said. Now that you have finished listening to all of these tapes, your new car is sitting in the parking lot. Kathy said, we both sat there saddened, saddened. He needed a car, which he did not get that day. Because what he needed more, he was unwilling to do. That is the reality of our work. You could choose to work for a paycheck. And if you get paid a lot of money, that will satisfy you. And if you don't, that will frustrate you. It'll be one or the other. Or you could choose to work for the reality that one day you, will, you and I will stand before God and we will give an account to Him. 
You may have your annual evaluations. You may have your quarterly evaluations. You may have all of these things that you do. And people on planet Earth may say whatever they have to say about you. And you may really wonderfully affect the bottom line of your organization. Or you may affect the human factor in what happens in your nonprofit or in your classroom or whatever. But one day, God who sees all, both motive and method, will look at you and he will assess it that day. He is the one who will see. Work sincerely because the Lord is rewarding. Thirdly, lead sincerely because the Lord is watching. All right, so two Two-thirds of the sermon to workers, a third of it to leaders. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Notice that Paul's words are equally addressed. Do the same to them as they are to the servants. What does Paul do that? He legitimizes servants in a way they were not accustomed to. What does do the same mean? As they serve sincerely, you lead sincerely. You lead sincerely without duplicity. Don't talk about your employees behind their backs. Don't be one thing to them uh, in their, to their face and another thing to them to another employee. If you do that, you are the worst person on the planet to work for. Nobody wants that leader. Nobody wants that leader who, who says one thing and does another. Nobody wants that leader. So for you... You need to either have their back or be in their face. And they need to know that. Everybody you lead needs to know you will have their back. And if there's a moment you cannot have their back, you'll be in their face and they'll know why. There's no wondering with you. There's no question with you as their leader. This is all connected to dads and and, and kids and connected to husbands and wives. The smile, I said last week, on your wife's face is the product of a husband's love. The joy in your child's heart is a product of the father's discipline. And the satisfaction in your employee's life is a product of the employer's leading. That is the case. You as the leader set the tone, set the culture for your organization. You are the one. The buck stops with you when it comes to that. And however you set that tone is how it will feel. And you can say stuff all day long, but anybody from the outside can walk in and listen and watch. And they'll know what kind of tone is set in the place where you lead. Paul says, stop your threatening. No one in Paul's day would dare call out masters. He may not have undone this whole thing of masters and servants, but he called out the masters. I would say to you, the law protects you from harm in their lives, but not necessarily their livelihood. When people come to work for you, their livelihood is in your hands. Their livelihood is, they're putting food on the table based on the paycheck that you, your organization gives to them. You should never take that lightly. You should never. 
And some of you in here own your own business. You, 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 you own it. It's yours and you have employees. And your pay is determined in one way and your staff is determined in another way. And at the end of the day, most likely you'll get what's coming to you. But you've got to understand that there are people who may in your organization live paycheck to paycheck. Perhaps they've not arrived. They've not been able to get to a place where they can stow some money away Do not introduce unnecessary difficulty in their lives to cause them to worry about their income. Paul doesn't mince words. He says, know that he who is both their master, capital M, and yours is in heaven. Master is Lord in the Greek. He's saying we all got a big boss. All right, all of our bosses who? Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus is boss of us all. He is the ultimate boss. One supervisor of all supervisors, one owner who owns all, and he sits above it all. He is in heaven where he can see it all from his vantage point. And with him, there is no partiality. What does partiality mean? It literally means I see a face. Partiality is judging somebody based on their face. That's partiality. That's that's what the word means. For example, let's say an officer pulls over somebody and discovers they're a famous person. Well, that officer might go, oh, I shouldn't write that person a ticket. Why? Because I see their face. And when I see their face, they're a famous person. When God judges, and one day he'll judge us all, he doesn't see faces. He sees hearts. He sees hearts. He sees behind the face. You see, the face can belie the heart. The face can show one thing and the heart be saying another. God doesn't see the face. He sees the hearts. All right, so as we lead, we ought to lead to the heart, not to the face. We ought to lead in such a way that we get heart deep. Down where people are living. Do you know the difficulty of that? It's just messy. If you want to lead others and know their hearts, well, just be prepared for the mess that comes with people's hearts. Why? People have messy hearts, don't they? How do you know? Because you have one too, right? You as a leader have a messy heart. You have difficulties. You have uncertainties that roll around in your heart. And so what you must discover, what you must rediscover is that the people you lead are looking to you and perhaps they look to you in a very functional way and that's all. And they see you as a functional leader, but but one day they may walk into your place of business and there is an issue, there is a difficulty, there is something maybe on the face that shows something deeper in the heart. So leaders lead sincerely because the Lord is watching and rewarding. He will reward our leadership. Paul writes this not from an aloof point of view. Paul was a tent maker. He he made tents alongside being a missionary. Paul was not a lazy man. He worked hard. But I just want to share with you this morning that the person who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ, 
is at his core a remarkable worker and a remarkable leader. Say, what do you mean? I'm still blown away. I shared this on Mother's Day, and several of you responded to this, that as far as we know, Mary was alone by the time Jesus got to the cross. There's no mention of Joseph after that incident when Jesus was 10 or 11. So scholars believe that Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' stepdad, died. Jesus, being the firstborn, had the responsibility to financially provide for his family. He had to work. Jesus, who made trees with a spoken word, took those same trees he made with a spoken word and took primitive tools and made furniture and sold it to put food in his mama's mouth and in his brothers' and sisters' mouths. Jesus worked. He never discounted work. He, he worked. The creator of the universe used the raw product of the trees that he created to make furniture. That is the Jesus we serve and celebrate. That is the master with the capital M. So I want to encourage you today with this. Some of you in here if you're younger, all right, and you've got a job as a high school kid or a recent grad, I'm just guessing that's not what you want to do the rest of your life. It's just a guess that you probably do not plan. My first, when I went to Stuckey's, my job was to clean toilets. Have you ever cleaned toilets? on an interstate store. <laughs> it ain't fun. People don't care. They, they don't care. That was my job. I cleaned toilets. Went in there, just cleaned bathrooms, and I guess they realized that I could do math, and so... They moved me to the cash register to ring up pecan log rolls. <laughs> so that's what I did. I rang up pecan log rolls and sold gas. Back in the day, wore cowboy boots, and that was my deal. That's what I did. And eventually, strangely enough, by my junior year, became the assistant manager of Stuckey's. Yes, I had employees as a junior in high school. 
And they worked for me, and I scheduled them, and I worked 35 to 40 hours a week, and it was my deal. And I remember, you know, who does that, right? Who puts, but back in the day, high school kids drove school buses. Yes. How many of you have ridden on one of them? Yes. My bus driver's name was Charlie, and he, you, you left the bus at home back in the day, and he was an a engine guy, and he took the governor off. <laughs> no why. We came up Highway 70, and he just lagged behind and lagged behind until all the buses had gotten out of the way, and then boom, here we go. Why? That's when you got the best crosswind, you know, coming through the bus. It was just life. That's just how it was. But I want to say something to you this morning that, and this is such a forgotten principle, but Jesus exemplified it. If you will make furniture to put food on your family's table, I'm guessing that when Jesus died and resurrected, that gave him a literal better audience with James, his half-brother, who before the resurrection did not believe, and Jude, his half-brother, who before the resurrection did not believe, both of whom came to believe, both of whom authored letters that later landed in the New Testament. I think there's a lot to say for doing well the most menial task that gives you a platform for the gospel. And if you through the years now are in a place of, of prominence, how much more should your work exemplify the gospel. How much more now? Should your work put planks in a platform by which you can describe, talk about Jesus who died and rose again and is coming back? Your voice is bigger now. Your reach is farther. Your influence is greater. But if you don't care about your employees, they will not care about your God. I promise you that. If you will not serve them like Christ served you, you will never be able to talk to them about the Jesus you know. That makes us different as Christians at work. Very different. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the gift of work a word that emerged in the garden with Adam and Eve and is part of the fiber of our society and culture and 
existence. Thank you for these men and women in the room. Those young who are doing the menial jobs, may they show up and by their work open the door to the gospel, to their bosses. And thank you for all these leaders in here who lead agencies, fill classrooms and doctor's offices and sell homes. who provide security and safety for this county and region. Christ, may you, their master, be seen beyond them. Jesus, may you be glorified as we work this week and the weeks hereafter. Pray this in your strong name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. James is going to come and close us as he does. Let me extend an invitation to you a bit different. We're going to do a video today, but for the sake of time, did not. I, tonight, will be in Granite Falls, North Carolina, with Howard Smith. We're doing, at 6P, we're doing piano stuff together. So Howard's an amazing pianist. And so we're going to be doing Howard to be playing, he and I together, and then I'll be playing some. And so that's at Bethlehem Church of God in Granite Falls. So we're going to get down. That's what I'm saying. I have to wear a suit. All right. So that's tonight, 6P. If you want to trek down the road, you're welcome to come. Love to have you. Bethlehem Church of God, Granite Falls. James. Awesome. Jerry uh, told a story earlier about um, Truett Cathy, and um, I was blessed to, to know Mr. Cathy and, uh, before he passed away, and he worked hard up into his 80s. In fact, I worked at a store that he frequented. He came to Chick-fil-A quite a bit, and, um, and when he would come in, we'd get a warning call that he's coming. You know, Big Daddy's coming is the message we would get. But when Truett came in, he would uh, many times go back to the grill and start working. He's 70, 80 years old. And um, he said this. He said this about, um, about work. He said, we're about more than just selling chicken. Nearly every moment of every day, we have the opportunity to give something to someone else. Our time, our love, and our resources. So I want to encourage you guys today, as we've heard um, this morning, as we leave this place, to give of others our love, our time, and our resources through our work, throughout our day. And we have an opportunity for that as well. Uh, Kids Camp is coming up August 4th through the 8th. And uh, some of you have already signed up, but there's, there's still a lot of need. It's going to be a huge Kids Camp this year. Um, how many have been a part of Kids Camp before? Yeah, a lot of you. And, and you guys know this is one of um, the most amazing weeks of the year. And so I want to encourage you to take part in that. Uh, head over to the website, graceforall.org. And I believe it's... it's uh, graceforall.org slash kidscamp hyphen 2019. Would love to have you sign up to volunteer for that. We're um, getting volunteers now. So thank you guys. Have a great week. You are sent. <laughs>